0: Good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Christ Central and again welcome college students. Those of all all of you who are here for the first time. Really glad uh, you're with us this morning. Um, This is our first fall together as a church uh, which is exciting and uh, as I reflect back over the last seven months of or eight months of this church plan I'm thankful for what God is doing in us and what God is doing through us and Excited about uh, this kind of academic year starting together. I just turned 36 a few weeks ago, and uh, I know I look like I'm still in college, but uh, I turned 36 a few weeks ago, and I was asked if I had a great birthday memory uh, that I could recall, recall when growing up. And I uh, thought about it for a little bit, and I said, you know, I always loved having an August birthday, because that meant every summer, every August, I could have a swimming pool birthday party. I love swimming pool birthday parties, and there's so many fun pool games that you can play, right? Uh, one thing that I would love to do uh, is get a plastic ball and, uh, and try to submerse it under the water, and I either try to stand on it or sit on it and kind of ride it. If any of you ever did that, if I was the only one that ever did that, uh, that was, I loved doing that, trying to keep the ball under, yet the, the pressure of the ball is causing it to rise, and you're kind of battling, and you're fighting, see who can stay on the longest, and And one thing that I've learned uh, over the last number of years, uh, and something that I've seen even more clearly in this last year, is that that image of me riding that ball, trying to keep it under, uh, is the image that describes a lot of how I live my life. Uh, I've learned uh, since I was a child how to live my life trying to suppress and to keep under the surface of my life my feelings. And much like the ball wanting to come to the surface, the feelings have ebbed and flowed. They've wanted to rise, but I've over many years learned how to keep them under, to suppress them. And what it's allowed me to do, it's allowed me to control, to control my life, to control others, to manage others, even at times manipulate others. I've used spirituality, I've used a relationship with Jesus to suppress and to keep under the surface of my life how I'm feeling. I've used a God of my own imagination to keep my feelings under, a God that would allow me to stay self-protected, to be in control, and to manage what everybody thinks about me. I believe all of us have learned our whole lives how to survive this world, right? We've all learned how to survive this world. And we live in a world that is full of pain, it's full of hurt, It's full of disappointment and sadness. There's excitement and hope. There's joy. There's needs and there's desires. And the way we have survived is that we've learned how to keep that ball under, right? We've learned how to keep those feelings under to control, to protect, to manage, to manipulate. And living in Durham, we meet new people all the time. And maybe even this morning, you met some new people. And what we're constantly asking when we meet new people is, how do I appear? Will you like me? Right? Will you like me? College students, you are asking that question like crazy right now. You are immersed in a sea of people that you do not know. How will I appear? Will people like me? Instead of us being honest and real, we keep that ball under, and we try to control and manage our lives through our intellect through how we appear, through power, through our money, all kind of ways we learn to control and survive this world. This fall, what we're going to be studying in this church is a cross-section of psalms. We've titled the series, The Songs of the Heart. Because what I think I need, and what I think our church needs, and what I think we all need, is to be awakened to a God, not of our imagination, who allows us to play it safe, but to a God who calls us off the fences of self-protection and and management, a God who breaks in and breaks through our defenses and calls us into a life of prayer, into a real vibrant relationship with Him, a God who calls us into full life with all of our hearts. The Psalms, if you've ever read them or if you've ever studied them, are a huge gift to the church. It's a toolbox that God has given us to allow us to see people being human, feeling vulnerable, vulnerable, honest before a God who makes himself known and as a result these prayers that we're going to look at over the next four months shows us living that's not self-protected and sterile and kind of calculated and cold but people who are fully living with a God who is not safe and a God who is not manageable but a God who is the author of life and a God who is good so I'm just going to warn you the Psalms that we're going to look at this semester are going to get us dirty They're going to make us deal with our passions, with our feelings, and with our commitments. And I have to tell you, I'm a little bit afraid. And at the same time, I can't wait. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want to look at a psalm that gives us a picture of what I hope and what I long for in this church, in Christ Central. It gives us a vision of what I pray we are and what I pray we become. So let me read Psalm 133. It's our custom. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's Word, if you're able. This is God's Word in Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore Isaiah 40 tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade but God's word endures forever let me pray God I ask that you would bless your word we need to hear from you this morning so remove me one who needs to hear from you and speak to us by your spirit may the words of my mouth the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you our Lord our rock and our redeemer Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. There you go. So I have to confess one thing. I have an obsession with college football. I have an obsession with college football. I'm so giddy right now because it's like Christmas time. We're one week away from college football. And in particular, I love Auburn football. I've been an Auburn fan my whole life. Uh, and I have to confess this too. I get on the internet message boards, among other Auburn fans, and we talk about what's happening with the Auburn football team, right? Great way to spend your time. (laughs) But I do that, right? I I enjoy it. And one of the subscribers uh, recently on the message board was diagnosed with cancer uh, and has been traveling all the way from Alabama up here to Duke University for treatments. And a few other people decided to try and raise some money from those on the message board to offset some of the expenses, uh, the medical expenses. And around $30,000 has been raised. Uh, and everyone on the message board has been talking about the Auburn family, right? The Auburn family, that the we're together. Look, look at how we become one as the Auburn family. Now, I've been encouraged, and I'm not discounting the raising of the $30,000. It's an incredible, generous, loving act that people have come together on. But what I do find surprising, though, is how easily uh, the Auburn community can throw out the word family, togetherness, oneness. Just because we're on a message board together and we all have this crazy obsession with Auburn football, we are the Auburn family, right? The reason I decided to preach on Psalm 133 this morning is that I believe it gives us a true picture, a true vision of real community, of real togetherness, of real oneness. As we launch into this fall together as a church, I pray this psalm for us. I want this to be true of us. Psalm 133 is a psalm of ascent. We're actually going to preach through some of the psalms of ascent during Christmas, during Advent season. But I wanted to start with this psalm, so let me give you a little bit of context for the psalms of ascent. The psalms of ascent are a collection, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. They're known as the psalms of ascent. And the Israelites would sing these psalms or these songs to one another as they would make their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem. For in Jerusalem was Mount Zion, and in on the top of Mount Zion was the temple of God. And in the temple of God was the presence of God. And so every year, Israelites would journey in pilgrim, singing this song to one another, looking forward when they would be together in the temple in Jerusalem. So this is a hymn of joy. It's a song of encouragement, longing to be together, longing to be one in the presence of God. There are two ways that I want to just from the outset apply this to us, and I'm kind of going to work it throughout my sermon and my differing points. Two ways uh, that this psalm applies to us. Everybody, all of us, are journeying towards our final resting place. We're all journeying. Now, the Bible tells us that Christians, we journey towards what we look forward to in what the Scriptures call the new heavens and the new earth. That time when God's presence will fill the whole earth. As Christians, we believe that we are journeying to this time, the final Jerusalem or the final Mount Zion, when we've, we are forever in God's presence. We also know, though, from God's Word That when God's people gather together, when the church gathers together like we are this morning, God is present with us in a way that is different than in other times during the week. He is present with us now in a way that is different. So in another sense, as Christians, we journey Monday through Saturday, coming back to this time on Sunday when we are together as God's people. So there is a now and a future aspect to this psalm a song that we need to sing weekly to one another, and every Sunday we need to sing it reminding each other of that final day when we will be forever the perfect community, the family of God, with God eternally. So let's look at this vision, this picture of community from Psalm 133. The first thing that I want us to look at this morning is that God creates unity in the midst of a divided community. God creates unity in the midst of of a divided community. We see this in verse 1. Verse 1, behold, how good and pleasant it is. Behold, David, the writer of this psalm, is saying, behold, stop. Stop and look. This is something seldom seen. Behold, this is something to pause and to gaze upon. The word how is actually used twice in the Hebrew for emphasis, so it should actually read, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is. This incredible blessing of brothers living together. Of brothers living together. Brothers is not speaking of blood related. This is speaking about those who are related because they have a common relationship to God. Those who are in covenant with God. Those who are bound in covenant to God are brothers and sisters. And David is saying, how beautiful. Gaze, pause, look at all of these Israelites who are coming from all walks of life, from differing parts of the world, with differing personalities, and they are gathering together. It is a great sight to behold. Now, if we're honest, in the year 2014, In Durham, North Carolina, and across our country, we still live in divided community. Mayor Bill Bell, mayor of Durham, calls Durham a city without a majority. Downtown Durham is 34% African American, 30% Anglo, 20% Latino, 12% Asian, 4% other. And our country's demographics are quickly changing. To the white people here, those of us who have been the majority our whole lives... The census shows us that by 2025, more than 50% of the children in our country will not be majority white. And by 2050, more than 50% of our country will not be majority white, thus making white majority an oxymoron, right? Our country is growing in diversity. Durham as a city is extremely diverse, and I just mentioned the ethnic diversity, but the socioeconomic diversity of Durham is evident as well. You go from The west side of downtown Durham to the east side of downtown Durham, you go from first world living to third world living. There are diverse academic institutions of Durham Tech, North Carolina Central University, Duke University, UNC Chapel Hill, and NC State not far from downtown. And with all of this diversity, we can still live divided in community. We divide ourselves by race and by economic class and by stage of life or by gender, and we can live with people that look like us and they think like us. And yes, even the church can and does live divided. One of my favorite movies, I don't know if it's too old now, but is Remember the Titans. Remember the Titans, love it. Uh, true story of the first integrated high school football team, white and black players playing together on the same team, a white and black football coach Denzel Washington is the head coach any movie with Denzel is awesome so I love it but the two middle linebackers are the leaders of the football team if you've seen it Julius is the black middle linebacker Gary is the white middle linebacker and as their relationship goes so goes the team right and at first they hate each other and the team remains divided but as the movie goes on as the story unfolds Julius and Gary become close close friends And the team begins to rally behind them, and they learn to play together. And they win the state semifinal uh, game, getting ready to go to the championship game. And as Gary is pulling out of the parking lot, he pulls out and he gets T-boned by a truck. And the next scene in the movie is Julius entering in to the lobby of the hospital. He goes straight up to coach, to Denzel, and he says, Coach, tell me he's okay. Tell me he's okay, coach. And coach says, "It, it doesn't look good, Julius. And Julius goes over to Gary's mom, who Gary's mom has hated Julius the whole time. And Gary's mom looks at Julius and says, Julius, be strong for my boy. He only wants to see you. And then he goes into the hospital room, and the nurse looks up and sees Julius coming in and says, Excuse me, sir. Only Ken are allowed in here. And Gary, paralyzed, opens his eyes and looks over, sees Julius, and says, Ann, talking to the nurse, Ann, are you blind? Can't you see? That's my brother. That's my brother. And Julius comes over to the bedside of Gary's, uh, where, where Gary's lying, and he says, man, you can't be hurt. You're Superman. Superman can't be hurt. And they start chanting what they've chanted on the football field, strong side, left side, strong side, left side. And Gary begins to tear, tear up, and he says, man, When all this is said and done, when we're old, we're going to move out to the country. We're going to live together. We're going to sit on our rocking chairs. We're going to barbecue, and we're going to live together. All who are in Christ Jesus are brothers and sisters. And this psalm tells us beautiful unity is when we learn to live together. And so we should sing this song to one another Monday through Saturday, looking forward to this day when we gather together for worship. So how can you sing this song of encouragement to one another? To encourage one another, to pursue people that may not look like you or think like you, to learn to love people that are different than you. How can you pursue people that aren't like you outwardly? And we sing this song every Sunday as we journey to that final day that Revelation 7-9 gives us a picture of. When every tongue, tribe, and nation will be together around the throne of Christ. When we will be brother and sister, one in Christ, no longer id by race or age or economic class, but we will be one family together for eternity. Behold that day. What a day that will be. How good and pleasant that will be. And as long as we live divided, we have a small taste of what that day will be like. A small taste of what heaven will be like. Jesus, our God, can and will create unity among a divided community. Secondly, let's look at verse 2, that God transforms a sinful community into a holy community. God transforms a sinful community into a holy community. Verse 2, David gives one of the, the first of two metaphors to describe this community. He says, it's like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron. How about, try it try next time somebody asks you to describe Christ Central Church, right? Uh, to, what's the community like at Christ Central Church? It's like when the oil runs down a man with a beard, right? It's like when the oil runs down a bearded man. That's what our community is like. Well, I mean, what the heck does that even mean? Right, what does that mean? Hundreds of years before this psalm was written, God called a man named Aaron to be a high priest, the high priest, to be the mediator between God and his people. And to set Aaron apart for this service, Moses took oil, poured it on Aaron's head, anointing him as the high priest, which we see in Exodus 30. And it was a, a glorious day when a, the priesthood for Israel was established. Because from that moment on, the people of God had one who would give them access into the very presence of God, would mediate, intercede on their behalf into the presence of a holy God. What if David, the author of this psalm, would have been given insight or a glimpse into what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which Paul writes through the lens of what Christ has already done, you, the community of God, are God's temple and His Spirit dwells in you. Let me me read that again. (laughs) You, the community of God, are God's temple, and His Spirit dwells in you. No other community, past, present, or future, can claim that. And the reason that we can claim that is because our high priest Jesus gives us access into the presence of a holy God. Therefore, God is here. He's here right now. You, we, are part of something really big right now. Because God is with us. A little boy brought his dad with him to his third grade class. It was a bring your father to school day. And uh, that morning, the little uh, boy's father was observing his son and a small group of students as they were talking about their dads. And one little boy said, My dad's a doctor. And because my dad's a doctor, uh, we have our own pool and our own dirt bike. And another little boy said, well, well my dad owns his own company, and because my dad owns his own company, we, we get to go to Hawaii every summer. Another little boy said, well, my dad's a firefighter. He fights fire. And the little boy who was listening began to feel very insecure as his dad watched him interact. And then his dad overheard the little boy respond, yeah, well, My dad's here, and he's he's right over there. (laughs) And all of these boys whose dads were doing all these things were not there. And they looked and saw his dad, and they were like, What? Your dad is here. See, their dads could have been kings, but this little boy's dad was in the room. And because of Jesus, our high priest, our heavenly father is in this room. (laughs) And through Christ, our sin is taken away, forgiven, and we're given access into the presence of a holy God, and we're made holy because of Christ. But there's another aspect of this verse that I want to highlight. 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9 tells us that we are now a royal priesthood, that Christians are priests, that all who have faith in Christ are now called to be a priest. What What does that mean? A priest knows the depth of another person, right? A priest knows the depths of his people. A priest hears confession of sin. A priest knows the dark places and the secrets of people's hearts and then brings them to Jesus who can heal and can forgive. So we're to be priests to one another. And here's the truth. All of us want to be known. That's how we're created. We want to be known. We want to be known in our secrets and in our thoughts and in our feelings and our doubts. And in being known, we want to be accepted and understood. But being known is terrifying because what if we're not understood? What if we're not accepted? And we do want to know others, but sometimes we don't really want to know others because that would mean we'd have to stop talking, right? We'd have to really listen to other people and we'd have to enter into somebody else's life And that can be exhausting. But true community and true life is when we act as a priest to one another. It's when we enter into one another's lives and we hear each other's secrets and dark places and doubts and fears, and then we remind one another about Jesus, the great high priest who forgives and heals and cleanses. And when we can be known by one another and we remind each other of Christ, the gospel takes root in our hearts And what what happens is we become holy. We become more like Jesus. So Monday through Saturday, we should be priests to one another. Church isn't just what happens on Sunday morning. Church is the body of Christ, the family of God, being in one another's lives Monday through Saturday and gathering on Sunday. It means we have to risk with one another. We have to trust one another. And then we preach the gospel of grace to one another. And we look forward to that time every Sunday when we will be in the presence of God and we will no longer struggle with darkness and doubts and fear and sin, but we'll be forever holy in the presence of our God. The last thing that I want us to look at is that God causes a drained community to become a life-giving community. He he causes a drained community to become a life-giving community. Look at verse 3, the second metaphor of this community. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Again, what does that even mean? (laughs) It's like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountain of Zion. Mount Hermon was the highest peak in Israel, 9,000 feet above sea level. It was this majestic, snow-capped mountain, and Mount Zion was this small little hill that David decided to put the temple of God on. And Mount Hermon was lush with greenery, with life because of the snow, because of the water, because of the dew. And what David is quoting and referencing is Hosea 14, 5, which says, Do is what gives life to all. So this this lush green mountain, Mount Hermon, causes, or the water flows down from Mount Hermon onto Mount Zion and causes Mount Zion all of a sudden to become green and lush, full of growth. It brings life. So the psalm is saying being a community should be life-giving, should be refreshing. Everybody in here, if you were asked, what, what is that one person or that one thing you do when you need refreshment or you need life? You could probably reel something off, right? It's a, maybe I just need to go for a run. Maybe I need to take a nap. I just need to go drink a cup of coffee and read a book, or I need to go be with this person because when I'm with this person, they just get me and I feel, I feel filled up, right? You could think of something that gives you life, refreshes you. If we're honest, the most, most of the way we live our lives is that we easily and quickly become drained and exhausted in how we live our life. And even how we approach church can lead us to become drained and exhausted. I don't know how many times I've said it in my years of ministry and as a pastor, and I've heard other people say it, I'm, a, I'm just kind of worn out in, in, with church. I'm kind of burned out right now. I need a break, right? Now, that could be very true, but that doesn't say anything about uh, what should be true of the church and of our community, what it says is that we approach church and we approach community wrong. Because true community should be life-giving, should be refreshing, should cause growth. So Monday through Saturday, we sing this song to one another. And we should look to encourage one another, refresh one another, give life to each other. And we come back on Sunday, and this place is a place in which we receive life. As we sing and as we pray, as we hear the word preached, as we feast at this table, we receive life and growth and what's needed for our journey. Which means Sunday really isn't optional if we want to thrive, right? If we want to grow, we need what happens this, this very day, this very morning. And then we long for that day where there's no more sickness, no more death, but life, joy, peace forever. So here's a question practically. How does this type of community that I just described out of Psalm 133 happen at Christ Central Church? How can we become unified instead of divided? How can we become holy instead of sinful? And how can we become life-giving instead of life-draining? There's something in the original language of this psalm that we miss in the English. So I'm going to read it for you one more time and see if you hear it. Psalm 133, Behold, How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil running down the head, running down the beard, running down the beard of Aaron, running down the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls down on the mountains of Zion. It comes down. It comes down. It descends, it descends, it descends. For there the Lord bestows His blessing, even life forevermore. This gift of community that I've just described out of this psalm, like all good gifts from God, must come down. Bestowed rather than contrived. A blessing more than an achievement. It descends, it descends, it descends. As one of my friends said, this should not be a psalm of ascent, but rather this should be called a psalm of descent. For that's what God does. That's the gospel, right? God was so committed to us and so committed to making us a new community that He descended, descended, descended. He came down to us in Jesus. And Jesus descended further into suffering. And then Jesus descended further into death. And for us to be unified, Christ who only knew perfect unity with the Father and the Spirit was divided and estranged from them as He hung on the cross for us. His people. And then the Holy Spirit descended and came down and fills us as believers and reminds us of what Christ has done. And then the Spirit leads us to engage with with one another and remind each other of the gospel and of what Jesus has done and His work on our behalf and the great hope that we have. The great day, someday, when we will finally arrive to the final Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth, forever. And until then, until that day, the final day, it is only by God's grace that we can be the kind of community in Psalm 133. Only as a gift. Only as it descends. So Christ Central Church, let's pray. Let's pray and ask God for this. Let's look to Christ and beseech God to send down this gift of community. And then let's engage with one another. Be in a city group. Get to know people in this church outside of just Sunday mornings. Sign up for a city group. Engage with this city. Engage on your campuses, in your fellowships, and in your ministries. And pray that we could be a community where life forevermore is tasted. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would cause this gift to come down by your grace. Send it down. The way Jesus came down and laid down His life for us. The Spirit comes down and fills us. Lord, we need You. We can't make it happen. We can't make it happen. We think we can. We really do. I think we can. But we can not apart from You. So God, do something by Your grace in this community that is, that is tasted by a watching world. A community that is like no other, because it's a community centered upon Jesus. And you're doing something in our midst that can't be replicated apart from the work of Christ and the filling of your spirit. Lord, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.